0: Hello and welcome everyone to our eighth episode of Data Unplugged. Today we've got Tim Heventhal from Project A with us. Tim, thank you very, very much for joining me on this episode.
1: Thanks for having me. Super excited about it.
0: Cool. Tim, uh, why don't you do us a favor and quickly introduce yourself and maybe also uh, what what Project A does um, on the market.
1: Sure thing. Um, so more or less in the I'm I'm active in the data industry for roughly seven years now. I initially started out at Flixbus, spent my first four or four and a half years there as a let's say relatively business oriented uh, marketing analyst, and from there um, transitioned into a more technical profile, and um, now I'm I'm a data senior data analyst at, at Project A. And what we do in in general is we are a venture capital company. So we invest into um, companies, mostly startups, and um, basically help them grow. And our USP is that we not only give them money, but give them operational support. So we have more than 120 um, people who who help you with all kinds of um, needs. So um, could be recruiting, could be software engineering, could be sales, could be also data. So we have um, a data team of 15 15 people who, who do everything from tracking data, warehousing, reporting. So um, yeah, very diverse, um, everyday life. Um, and, and also very interesting to see those, those different um, backgrounds or, or different settings actually, and, and how data comes together.
0: Okay. So I think it's safe to say that Project A is definitely invested in, in the companies they invest in. So you make sure they're, they're successful. And that actually would, would also lead me to the first question, because I know you, you guys do also some consulting on that side of things. Um, looking at, at, at more of an early stage startup or, or someone that wants to start the data journey, looking at, at the huge portfolio that you have, because I know you, you guys invest in different sectors, different business models. Um, what would you say is the difference between sectors and or uh, business models and in terms of obviously focusing on a data stack they need um, at the very beginning when they start this this data journey
1: mm-hmm. so exactly as, as you pointed out so we don't have a, a industry focus so we have um, all kinds of companies from um, b2b thus to um, e-commerce um, consumer goods to um, yeah, software as a service to basically self-driving cars, so we have them all. Um, this means that also um, the, the, the requirements are um, yeah, obviously quite different and uh, since we invest um, yeah, predominantly into let's say SEED, sometimes even pre-SEED, Series A, um, in a lot of cases uh, they don't really have a data team yet but obviously they have some some data right. needs. and then what's quite often the case is that you have some kind of um, analytics tool which could be for the classic e-commerce example could, um, could be rather a marketing analytics tool let's say it was um, GA or universal analytics in the past um, now let's see how it, how this will change with, with GA4 but um, basically you have this um, yeah, this jack this of all trades tool then um, when you look a little bit more into the B2B sector um, maybe with, with software companies, it's it's more like a, a product analytics tools And then if it's maybe a little bit more uh, kind of a, a hardware um, tool and, and still B 2 B, then um, also the the sales funnel is, is really important. And basically, this is then probably where you put the majority of of effort in in analyzing. So then maybe I don't know something like a like a HubSpot or so is 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 doing the job for you. And then it also um, is quite important that you. And figure out the, the ref ops part. So basically how um, the, the data streams basically are running from, from various systems into each other. Um, so yeah, but this is what we see quite often. And, and I think it's fair if you don't have a huge capacities and resources, have kind of more generalistic tools, um, but but use the tools which cover your number one priority. Um, and then depending yeah. on your industry, this could be um, yeah pretty pretty different to, to other
0: companies. Right. You, you just mentioned uh, tools and stuff. So in, in terms of maybe also at what stage do you need what data stack? right? Because you said maybe the needs in the beginning are not, not as, as big and then you need more generalistic tools. What would you say the, the, the right stack is or at what stage do you need what data stack?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think the, the number one priority is always keep it as simple as possible so this is basically the number one thing uh, never be proud of complexity so complexity sucks um so let's let's put this um, straight and generally speaking um exactly you have this number one tool uh, or like this this first analytics tool or this tool you do analytics in i mean hubspot generally per se is, is or salesforce or so those are not analytics tools but um, that they, they offer you some kind of analytics and then Um, What usually happens is um, somebody from the marketing, finance, product team, they see themselves um, copy-pasting lots of Excel files together or Google Sheets, and um, then usually you kind of identify, okay, there, there could be some room for automation. Um, because they kind of need to combine various data sources. So they want to have maybe um, the marketing manager, they, they want to have the, the spend from Google Ads, from Facebook Ads, from TikTok, and they want to compare this with the conversions from, from Google Analytics. So they co- kind of copy-paste all this together and do some, some fancy V-lookups. And this is usually um, kind of one of the, the first uh, projects um, where, where then, for example, somebody like we could come in and, and basically automate this and then build kind of the um, yeah, the first iteration of a data warehouse. So um, this is then usually the the next step to to build this um, database, which um, nowadays um, is it, mostly hosted on I I don't know it could be a Snowflake, BigQuery. Um, we don't see Amazon Redshift that much anymore, but um, yeah, usually Snowflake and BigQuery, where we then um, start to kind of um, pull data from various sources, um, merge them all together, apply some business logic, and then and show it in some in some bas- dashboarding tools, and then what we see usually is that at some point you you grow out of this, or you um, on you don't necessarily grow out of the tool stack, but it's getting more complicated, and then um, something like a workflow orchestrator makes sense because maybe you have some fancy data sources, some I don't know legacy ERP system or some some uh, customer service tool which which can't be integrated yet. up. What I forgot to mention is that um, usually the, the data inputs from the marketing sources, they can be automated quite well with um, something like a five trend, Airbyte, um, mm. stitch, funnel, you name it. And um, so um, you don't need to spend hours or, or days on on writing some, some scripts to to kind of um, get data out of APIs. Usually for, for the classic marketing reporting, this can be um, basically put together within Couple of clicks and minutes, um, and yeah, if you then have these these let's say more legacy or exotic tools which which don't have these connectors in an Airbyte or 5Gem, what you then probably need is um, yeah, kind of a tool which starts to orchestrate your your Python scripts and your transformations in the data warehouse, and then we see something like a uh, Airflow for example, Airflow, Dexter, Prefect, um, doesn't matter. I just kind of name some tools, but um so, so the, these tools, they, they orchestrate all kinds of um, tasks together. So they basically say, um, please um, sync the data from the marketing sources, sync the data from the ERP, and then tell the data warehouse, hey, please um, do my transformations, um, which then are usually also written with DBT. Um, so this is kind of one step. And then maybe you have a, a bigger team and a more complicated pipeline and you don't want to have um, things breaking and and deliver bad data to to stakeholders. So then what you usually do is also build some kind of CI, CD. So this means that um, you kind of version control all your code changes, and that you basically test the code before it hits the It's your production environment and to, to spot mistakes as early as possible. And before anybody else did it, let's say, Um, so this is kind of the goal. And then as the thing grows and as the team grows, as the company grows, then later you have tools like, um, data catalogs or data observability tools, which basically make you help to, to understand. So first of all, trace the data from a to B, which can be really complicated if you have hundreds of tables in there. So something like that data lineage tool, um, where you can see, okay, I have this column here, um, maybe sensitive data, like an email address, like a phone number, but you need it for for mission-critical processes. And and you want to see, okay, where is this column actually used, and is it in in places where maybe it shouldn't be? So those tools come in handy, or the, the catalog, if you have lots of um, maybe self-service BI and the stakeholders, they shouldn't ask you where this metric is or how this metric is defined, but they they should have this catalog, this Wikipedia, so to say, um, where where they can look it up. So this is usually what we see when it comes to the the technical stack, this kind of involvement. So having this one tool where you do some analytics in, then maybe you have multiple tools and you kind of start to build your data warehouse and from there it's getting, more, let's say, complicated and more holistic also, covering more use cases. But again, keep it as simple as possible. So don't over-engineer it. Um, What I didn't mention is actually the dashboarding tool. Um, So obviously, this is, in this sense, a a quite crucial part of the stack that um, a lot of eyes get it, right? So so all the attention is on um, what you display with these um, fancy charts and and, and tables and um, display or show to your audience. But um, from my point of view, it's it's not that major of a of a factor. So um, we see various tools. Um, we, obviously, in the in the more enterprise sector, you have a Tableau, you have a Power BI, and probably even a Looker. Um, nowadays, um, coming up um, when it comes to then startups, uh, what we see a lot is um, a Looker Studio, or, or formerly called Data Studio. Um, just because it's free, and considering that it's free, actually it does. Quite a good job, but also then you have a lot of um, open source alternatives, such as um, a MetaBase um, or, for example, um, light They they come. They have very new ideas um, when it comes to integrating into DBT, for example, so that you keep your logic um, into your de- in the in the data warehouse and into DBT, where it's version controlled and all not, And then um, you just use the reporting tool. Um, very yeah, lightly so to say so there isn't a lot of logic um, but you um, just use it to literally present um, the data and so this is what we see a lot regarding power bi and, and tableau yeah i mean as I said so they are mostly i would say enterprise solutions so um, we don't see them a lot and also um power bi from my point of view only makes sense if you are invested into the microsoft stack and um, because otherwise it doesn't really integrate that well with um, for example snowflake or, or bigquery if you are um, completely on on google cloud or, or um, amazon all
0: right so. so in in terms of uh, functionality obviously for power bi um it does make more sense to go with something like Looker, but what about Tableau? Is it that you would go with one of the open source softwares or with Looker instead of Tableau or Power BI due to the pricing or more due to the functionality?
1: Um, both. Um, so Power BI is um, yeah really good if you have Microsoft Excel if you're in the in the Azure environment. Um, and you can basically build this um, semantic model in there. So um, this is relatively decent with with Tableau, and it's also not too expensive if you don't need these um, premium capacities or how they are called um, to to have additional storage and, and, and whatnot. And um, for Tableau, it's a it's a different story. So yes, it's it's pretty pricing uh, pricey. And um, also, it doesn't really integrate that well into the usual data stack we're using. So most of the, the data modeling is happening in, in dbt. So you have your model descriptions, uh, metric configurations, maybe even um, all set in there. And then, um, yeah, it's kind of an antibody or it doesn't really um, fit into the stack. Um, like, uh, for example, a Metabase or a Superset or um, LightDash um, and also um, yeah, with Looker, for example, you have additional flexibility in um, defining your business logic um, in there, and also um, ThoughtSpot, a relatively new reporting tool, which fits into the stack. And, and for example, they have a native um, DBT integration. So, so this means that if you want to keep your logic into uh, within the data warehouse and not put it into um, data data warehouse uh, data reporting tools. Um probably there are better solutions than a Power bi or Tableau there, yeah
0: okay. So you you mentioned something earlier um, at the very beginning and you said that you don't really see redshift that much out of interest is there is that just something that that you saw in the market or do you know specifically why people tend to go more with Snowflake or, or Bigquery? is there a specific reason for it?
1: Um I know the reason why a lot of companies um, shied away from Redshift. And actually, I was also part of two migrations. So at Flixbus, we migrated from Redshift to Snowflake and also at the Zone. Um, we, we did exactly the same. And the, the problems were quite similar. Um, so back then, so they were the, the first in the market with this um, kind of cloud data warehouse, which does massive um, mm-hmm. um, parallelism um, under the hood. And, and um, what they didn't do, because essentially what was redshift was back then to be honest i'm I'm not super into the technical details nowadays but what it was back then it was just a postgres on, on steroids so a lot of their mechanics were let's say still postgres like and what they couldn't do is they couldn't separate the storage from the compute so this meant that for example if um if your team uh, if your teammates load in a huge table into the storage kind of the database was busy and if you then simultaneously wanted to kind of query something could be a completely different table. Basically, you are fighting for the very same um, computing, uh, computing power, processing power, and and this was really kind of a bottleneck when it when you have big data like like Flixbus has it like like the zone has it, and that's why a lot of companies moved away and and BigQuery and, and Snowflake. They um, basically they were late enough to kind of avoid this issue. They they um, they were not right. based on Postgres and they separated storage and compute. And, and back then, this was a game changer. I think also, um, obviously, oh, I hope that AWS realized this. And nowadays, they also have some more modern versions of it. But um, I think it's not the main. Uh, basically, you don't pivot back to it that quickly. Um, but that's, right. that's basically the context.
0: OK, thanks. Uh, yeah, I was, I was wondering, because that, that is something that I see as well, right, When recruiting, right? Like. Uh, the main stacks we're working on is is usually GCP, BigQuery, uh, and and Snowflake. So I was wondering, um, okay, you you also said, you you mentioned it twice, actually, don't be proud of complexity and and keep it simple, right? But I assume that once a business grows, and and, you know, once the data needs become bigger, there is uh, also a point where you need to move to a more advanced data stack, right? You need to I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but you need to increase the complexity, right? How do you know when it is time to move to a more advanced data stack? When do you decide this is it?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Usually, yeah, it's always um, if if the pain is, is big enough. <laughs> so um, so if you copy paste these, these files together and if, I mean, if it's done within 10 minutes and you do it once per week, probably you don't need a data warehouse. Um, but if it really starts to be, be complicated, and, and maybe also you can't do it in, in Google Sheets anymore because the data is too big, and this is a very good sign that um, it's, it's slightly too late, but probably kind of better than, than um, over engineering and then going too complex with a data warehouse when you spend essentially 10 minutes on, on copy pasting data. Um, or if you have custom imports, and so basically that these, um, yeah. Mostly Python scripts, which which connect to to various APIs or load and um, things from FTP servers or so. Um, then usually it's also a good time to to have something like a like a Airflow um, set up to to kind of schedule these different tasks and make sure that um, yeah you, you have the dependencies right. Um, because there are also let's say more simpler tools, but these tools then they for example they only do they they can trigger this Python job. And they do it maybe every hour, every, every five minutes, or once you will. It's just that if you have ten of those scripts, it's also really hard to kind of keep track of them. And and this should run first. This should run second. Um, so then actually a workflow, workflow orchestrator, even though it's a little bit more complex technology, makes your life easier. So actually less complexity. Then so and this is a good time. And then. Um, yeah, I mentioned the example if you have stakeholders asking you or searching for the right data then probably um, catalog, lineage this is the thing. So basically I think it's always um, maybe a good tip to kind of reflect on your flaws and reflect on the things which are not working too well within your, your team and your processes and then see what technology is out there to to make your life a little bit easier but I would say I mean thinking ahead is good but um, you should migrate when the pain starts to be there and when um, and, and not too too early so you shouldn't um, anticipate what's going on in two years because to be honest in two years probably you're busy with other things
0: <laughs> okay right I think another aspect is, is um is most likely costs, especially if you look at startups right um, how would you look at keeping costs low until you really gather value out of data, or or more like, wouldn't you try to save money in the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean, especially in these days, right? It's it's an important topic. Um, so, so I think there, for example, I mean, I, I read a lot of um, articles on on LinkedIn and Medium in the in the last weeks that I don't know. Not everybody needs Snowflake, and it's, it's expensive. Um, and yeah, it's true. But um, for example, I mean, I. I worked recently on a lot of a uh, bigquery projects and, and there um, if you don't have a lot of data you can run it for for five euros a month for, um, because they, they kind of have relatively generous um, pricing models so that the first terabyte is always for free per, every month and so five five bucks a month let it be 50 bucks a month I think this is decent because then if you if you have your own um, database you um, yeah you, you might I don't know you, you also, you need to have a server or virtual machine somewhere, and then maybe it runs out of memory. So um, the cost is a little bit different. So it might be a little bit less cost in the beginning, but then um, it also, I don't know, if, you, if something screws, screws up and then basically everything is broken for, for two weeks, um, that's also expensive. So especially with this usage-based pricing of the modern data stack, you can start out relatively um, cheap, I would say, um and then it kind of grows with your with your business which um then can also lead to um kind of because everything is so easy to use and so easy to expand so the, the tricky part here is then um that it might um if, if you don't observe your cost and monitor your cost that um at the end of the day i don't know you sit in in front of a, a cloud uh, provider bill of of 2000 euros because um, i don't know everybody upgraded their the um their instances so obviously this is kind of a <laughs> not ideal situation but generally this user-based pricing is good and then if you compare it to open source this is also expensive i mean you you spend a lot of time on infrastructure and then maybe things are not mature uh, we see it for example i mean airbite is a great tool but um sometimes actually let's say the documentation is a little bit outdated or so so um you pay with your time and not with your with your credit card.
0: Right. Well, time um, is money, right? And
1: yeah, exactly. And then exactly <laughs> because of this, um, maybe let me add you. So um, what I would recommend is, is focus on providing value as soon as possible. And then you can have a big query instance within or Snowflake also uh, within one, two days, basically load the data in with with Airbyte 5G, or whatever, and uh, in a couple of days. Um, and try to kind of get this one use case. If you're starting out with data, get this one use case, basically build it through and then focus on the next use case, but provide value as as soon as possible and don't kind of waste time, six months to kind of build this perfect stack, which then is already outdated when you're ready.
0: Okay um th- then the next question that I would have with this in this instance is uh, what profiles to hire when and the reason I'm also asking this is because one of the the, the previous podcasts uh, we've also discussed that sometimes it's also smart to to outsource uh, your data needs right to get someone in that helps you out with that w- what's your opinion on that like do you think build a stack, get someone in to to tell you what what the data is, right? Or would you say, no, start hiring first. And if you say, start hiring first yourself internally, what profiles would you start with?
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, I think it depends. Yeah, I mean, generally, probably I'm a little bit opinionated here, but I would say um, if you're serious about data, you should in-house some kind of knowledge. Doesn't mean that you should do everything your own, but I mean, for example, if you are an e-commerce shop and you out and for whatever reason you don't want Shopify or Amazon or whatever, and you you basically want to build your own shop system. If this is your core product and you outsource this to an agency, I'm skeptical about it. And basically, if you're serious about data and maybe it's not your your business model, but if you're serious about data, you should should have some kind of knowledge in there. Can you do everything? Um, especially now when we go to hiring, probably not, but um, have some knowledge in there um, and not basically lose it in case you switch the provider. Um, so that's why I would always root for um, having in-house knowledge. Um, and what what I would recommend is having somebody seasoned, somebody experienced, and, and with a more generalistic profile first. So it doesn't matter when, when I see, um, I don't know, people hiring data scientists as the very first data hire, this is usually <laughs> this is doomed. I mean, either yeah. the data scientist is super unhappy and, and needs to do um, needs to set up the data warehouse and basically is an engineer. yeah, um, or he's swamped with kind of super simple data requests, so so which um, like we look upping and writing um, SQL queries, et cetera. So that's not what you need and pay a data scientist for. Um, so so get somebody who can do a little bit of everything. And who is also willing to do a little bit of everything, and um, because this is what you what you need as your very first data position. Um, and then I would say maybe um, also with the first position be maybe a little bit more on the business side, more than on the tech side, because you need to understand what you need to build and and how to provide value. And then rather uh, maybe have um, yeah, maybe outsource a little bit of the technical support. I think this is this is fair to do. But um, the the reasoning, the context, the, the what and why, uh, from my point of view, should be in house. Yeah. and then um, what you what you could do as kind of a as the second position is is uh, depends a little bit on your setup. Again, B two B completely different from from e commerce. Um, but uh, maybe a web analyst, if, if this is really important, like conversion rate optimization, um, or like a general product analyst or something like this, if you're a ZUS tool or like an analytics engineer, if you have this data warehouse and you have complicated logics and you need really like a, like a, um, a guru in, in, in DBT, for example. Um, and then if, since the, the first role should be, let's say, quite strong with the business, then and probably with the third role uh, you could have again um, somebody um, supporting this, this business side. Because then with with the growing data demands, if your first data projects basically were uh, fruitful and, and, and basically people are eager to, to work with your data, probably have more incoming requests and uh, maybe a business analyst makes sense. And, um, and then you can focus on the technical profiles, like a data engineer, like a data scientist, if you have machine learning profiles. But yeah, don't go too specialist and too junior with your first roles.
0: Yeah. OK i think another issue at the, at the very beginning of of uh, the data journey for for, for startups or, or in general people that start the data journey is what 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 common mistakes are there right what what common mistakes do early stage companies do around data
1: yeah yeah so um i think as said um hiring too junior, or like uh, hiring a data scientist, or, or like too too technical, is, is not good for for both sides. Um, so um, where like the, the junior, how should she or he know uh, what to build, when to build what? Um, so this is this is tough. And then also, um, yeah, the two technical person so be be close to the to the business and, and to understand the processes, understand the decision making. And um maybe focus on some operational processes. Um so if, if you have people in, in logistic in your logistics department or in your customer success team basically super swamped with these manual processes, I think this is where you can provide value. Um so um I think this is this is important. What we also see quite often is that um surprisingly um the the, the type of Tracking doesn't really have ownership, because yeah, it's, a, it's a topic you have um, not a lot to gain, in this sense, from a personal point of view, but a lot to lose, because if it works, it works. Um, everything is, is OK. Um, but if it doesn't work, basically, you lose data forever. You can't, like, if, if tracking is wrong, um, data is lost. And if you notice it three months later, the data is lost. Um, so this is kind of important. Um, and, and, so much is, is based on it right i mean you probably your marketing spend is based on it your reporting maybe your decision making uh, your budget allocation etc so, so much is based on this so it's relatively critical you could argue but um what we what we see often i mean also doesn't mean that is not necessarily a problem with our ventures but generally in the industry um that this topic is kind of pushed a little bit around in the, Marketing really doesn't want to own it, and then product really doesn't want to own it, and then the data team also doesn't really say, Hey, you guys understand way better what you need, so do it. And yeah, so I think we see this pushed around. So the the ownership of tracking would be something. Um,
0: So I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, so um, why is that? Because you're saying it's arguably very critical, but somehow no one wants to do it. Is it like, that no one has the sense of ownership. Is it like everyone's trying to push away the ownership? Like no one wants to take responsibility. Do you know why that is?
1: Mm, so I mean, it's, first of all, I think the, the ownership topic itself, then is probably a little bit also personalities. But um, generally, the topic is very difficult in the sense that it involves a lot of overlap between disciplines. So you have you have this. Um, uh, data part, obviously, so you need to, to do um, mm-hmm. yeah, un- understand how data is, is coming from A to B, um, you need to understand a little bit of website architecture and, and manipulate things with JavaScript, maybe, and then you need to understand what you're, what you're doing and maybe um, yeah, understand the downstream processes of product, of your marketing text, which conversion, which events fire when, you need to talk to, to technical people, so it, it's a complex thing to do, actually, and I think that's why also... Um, often you um, often you don't have this one person who can do it all. And that's why several people are basically needed to, to do the job of tracking. And that's, from my point of view, totally fine. It's just that this one person who owns the topic from A to Z and then a little bit coordinates and, and communicates across the, the disciplines, this is missing. But it, it's complicated, like the, the whole um, thing about tracking. And then again, like um, if it works, nobody notices. But if it doesn't work and it's noticed, then um, shit is hitting the fan.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, again, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was uh, probably something interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, no. No. All good. And then um, what I would say also, um, yeah, over engineering too too early, and then being in love with with. Um, let's say your technical tools. I mean, I also like testing, testing new technologies. I mean, this, this kind of curiosity, I think is important if you work with data, but, um, always kind of, um, be, be kind of reminded of what your goal is, how you can provide value. And then also, especially then with early stage startups and you maybe have only one person doing or owning the whole topic. Um, it's a thing of documentation and the, the kind of being a single point of knowledge. Um, where then, unfortunately, if this person is about to leave the company or so, they take years of legacy knowledge and all this business logic um, kind of away with them. And if this is not properly documented, then basically you can build the whole thing from scratch almost. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. No, but um, so, yeah, uh, it's not fun, at least I, I don't like it, but um, documentation is something like. Yeah, three, four years ago, probably I also wouldn't have <laughs> agreed. But nowadays, I really see the um, the point of, of documenting your work, document your reasoning, not necessarily what you do, but why you do it. I mean, what you do, you can usually read in the code. Um, but, but why you did it, um, and where, where is this hard-coded value of 0.7 coming from and <laughs> these kind of things. So um, similar to how I said in the beginning that a lot of... Um, uh, or that we don't see a lot of power bi or, or tableau um, nowadays in in these modern data stacks is that um, i would consider it also a mistake to hire uh, to get a tableau license just because it's tableau if you have nobody um, having a clue about tableau um and uh, it, it's yeah, it's easy in the sense that you can um, drag in an Excel file and, and uh, put in some relatively nice-looking charts um, within a couple of clicks. But put the whole thing into production and manages is is actually not that easy anymore. So they are way way easier tools. So I, I think um, overspending on a on an enterprise reporting tool um, if you not even have a data team, I think this is this is one mistake. And then um, also maybe the, the data modeling putting putting all the da- um, the logic and the the metric definitions into your reporting tool this is um how it used to be 10 years ago 20 years ago but nowadays you should be um actually yeah rather try to keep the logic in the data warehouse where you can also then reuse it in in different sources so maybe you want to analyze your data in google sheets maybe in in your reporting tool, or maybe push it into other systems, and then you don't need to redefine it anymore. And then it also comes in handy. And then, yeah, especially then with um, the early stage uh, startups, we see actually um, that proper data modeling is, is still worth it. And um, yeah, if if you don't have, uh, basically, you can see it from the from the data use cases and these these. ugly SQL scripts that uh, not a a lot of thought has been put into what tables do I need and and how to kind of reduce um, the thing to to be most simple. So we we don't want to repeat logics, for example. We just want to have them at one single place and in the end deliver the single source of truth. Um, And then when it's getting a little bit bigger, uh, we will scale up. So investment rounds uh, B, C, D. Then um, what we see usually is that hypergrowth companies, right? Um, so a lot of things are, are data maybe messy or meshy because things are not um, quick enough, um, and then I don't know that the central data team can't um, cope with the with the demands anymore. So um, different teams are building their own resources. Um, for example, we saw that at Flixbus, we also see it in the other hypergrowth um, companies, and then you don't have enough best practices you have kind of a lack of of communication between teams um and then also this this lack of communication and awareness leads them to double work so basically two teams building the very same thing and they they are not aware of it um so ah, i mean you, you see that funnily it's a kind of data is, is a pretty technical topic, but most of the of the problems are really about communication, about um, how teams are working together, yeah. um, what teams are working together, and and understand what you what you build and um, what your purpose of the job
0: is. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one uh, someone said to me, um, "There is no communication when it comes to data." um and and somehow every time no matter what topic i discuss being a data mesh being a data government uh, it seems that communication is key to to be actually successful in in, in your data initiatives um yeah. but it's cool to see that this is a common topic um now in terms of preventing those mistakes right is there some guidelines that you can can look at because obviously you mentioned what the problems are right But how can those early stage startups, let's say uh, they're not lucky enough to have project a as their partner, how can they prevent those uh, mistakes?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, kind of uh, hire hire the generalist first, et cetera. So basically avoid, try to (laughs) avoid the, the things I kind of mentioned, but, but I think also, um, communicate, as you said, communicate with others, maybe externally. So basically, um. Reach out to your network, or, or read a lot of things. So that's that's actually a cool thing um, nowadays. That you have so much content and so much um, people out there sharing what they do, and and maybe also what what's not working. So, but having maybe some some like-minded um, people in, in similar situations, maybe not from your competitors, but having them around and then do some check-ins every couple of months and, and ask them about or having somebody to, to ask problem. I think that's good. And then in the end, I mean, yes, we also do this operational support, but we also do lots of um, sparring sessions where it's just kind of check-ins once a month and, and see how things go. And then maybe, um, I don't know, we, we brainstorm for, for 10 minutes about some some, problem and and how you could solve it so i think this is important because you can't solve everything your own Um, but yeah how how to prevent these mistakes yeah i mean saying it again be close to the business and understand how for example your data is then also used so not not just dump so don't be this reporting monkey so don't um, run some sql queries get a csv and, and send it to your colleague and then job is done move the ticket in in Trello or Jara to to done but understand what they do. And then maybe you figure out, okay, they they do so much work on top then in Excel, which can be completely automated and maybe they import this list then back into their marketing automation tool to send an email campaign on top. So maybe this whole thing with a little bit of extra effort um, could be solved once and for all. And then also the people wouldn't come to you anymore and ask you for SQL queries. So this is actually something which happened in one of my, my previous jobs where kind of i i built uh, or i i um, uh, had um people from the crm team approaching me quite quite regularly then um for um, let's say quite advanced um segments of of our customers to to send them um, emails to and, and yeah, as that's quite advanced segments and they couldn't do it with their marketing automation tool and they were coming once a week then twice a week then three times a week and then kind of I, and I said, okay, yeah, this is not going to scale well. Um, and then basically what I, what I did is, I, I mean, obviously there's also more sophisticated marketing automation tools out there, uh, which you could use, but back then, it, to be honest, it was out of budget um, and out of, um, let's say, capacities to, to scout and implement this. Um, and what I did then, this is kind of a, a, kind of a hacky MVP where, where people had a, a web UI, and could um, put some um, with, with drop-down uh, with, with drop filters and could put together their own segments, analyze how, how big the segment is, maybe put a A/B A-B test or control, like incrementality test, holdout group um, on top of it, and then send it needless um, via API into the marketing automation tool without um, any human seeing those clear text, sensitive email addresses nobody nobody wants to have flying around in, in Excel sheets. And, I think this is maybe a yeah. good example on how understand how your data is used and don't be a reporting monkey.
0: Right. Well, if you are a startup and you're lucky enough Project A is invested in you, then you're probably in good hands with Tim. If you're not a startup uh, that's being invested in by Project A, then hopefully this, this episode will help you out a little bit. Tim, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your expertise and ensuring some of your insights um it was an absolute pleasure
1: yeah, thanks a lot and uh what well, was super fun and uh, for the listeners yeah if you have any questions if you disagree with topics uh, feel free to reach out to me and, and let's have some discussions because this is how we learn and get smarter right